Good morning. <laughs> there you go. Thanks, Prue. That was good. <clears throat> For those of you who haven't had a, the privilege of meeting, uh, my name is Pastor Scott, uh, and it's a joy to be here with you, open up God's Word with you. If you're a guest with us, uh, we have been walking through the book of John, and we're about halfway finished. And in fact, I want to point this out to you if you didn't get one of these on your way in. Make sure you grab one on the way out. These are our booklets that go, correspond to our sermon series just got another one that's, that's hot off the press today, so you can grab one of these. It's a great chance to just dig a little bit deeper into the text. Also, got discussion questions for you and your community group, and then also some articles and things that go along and correspond to uh, the teaching. And so, just to commend this to you, uh, make sure you grab one of those. And we are, uh, two weeks ago, we finished up John chapter 10. And so we're moving into John chapter 11, and where we left off two weeks ago was the Jewish leaders are seeking to kill Jesus. Uh, His power to heal, his teaching is drawing a crowd, and ultimately his saying, I am one with the Father, is what is stirring up all sorts of anger, and ultimately they want to put him to death. And so because Jesus' time has not yet come, He's pulled back. He's left Jerusalem. He's now kind of in a rural area where John the Baptist ministered for a season. And it's here that he gets word uh, about a particularly painful thing that's taking place. And I want to just prepare you for this. This is a weighty sermon. Um, And really, it's not necessarily a weighty sermon. It's a weighty text. Hopefully, it is also a weighty sermon. But uh, I'll let you be the judge of that. No, it's, it's been a really challenging text for me to wrestle through this week. Um, it's a hard text. Uh, there's pain. There's suffering. There's anguish. There's hopes. There's dreams. There's fears. There's longings. There's all sorts of stuff that's just bottled up into this passage of Scripture. And I think what, that the, the main question that the text is presenting to us this morning is this. Do you trust God in the midst of your suffering? Have you ever gone through a time where you wondered, like, what in the world, God, are you up to? You know, maybe it was a job loss, or maybe it was a a broken relationship that just seemed unresolved. Um, Maybe you just had, like, a wave of depression that just hit you. You know, where it came from, or what was the explanation to it, or anything, or a tragic event in the community that you live in, or, or worse, maybe, uh, death. You know, suffering really tries our faith, doesn't it? And it begins to conjure up in our hearts a lot of questions. Things like, where are you, God? Do you hear me? Will you keep your promises? Or do you love me? Maybe some of you are coming here this morning and you've already kind of emphatically committed to the fact that God doesn't love you. If you're in a place of suffering right now, I want you to hear this. You are not alone. Uh, And this is a safe place for you here. This text opens up an opportunity for us to be safe, to wrestle through our times of difficulty and suffering. And if you haven't experienced that, because we live in a fallen world, it will come. And this text can be a real service to our souls, I think. So over the next two weeks, 
Uh, I want to invite you into a story. It's probably one of the most powerful, most amazing stories in all of Scripture. It's one about death and life, one about pain and promise, one about love and glory. And as you listen to the story, I invite you to immerse yourself in it and be in it. So bring your pain, your longings, your struggles, your hopes, your dreams, and hopefully your desire to see Jesus. So turn with me to John chapter 11 if you haven't already. And in honor of God's word, for all those who are able, if you would stand together, and we are going to read a section entitled, The Death of Lazarus. Verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Let's pray. Lord, these are, these are very hard words, weighty things. There's pain, there's sorrow, there's death, there's discouragement, there's despair. And you invite us into this text to bring these things to you. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would enliven our hearts, that you would expand our vision of you, Jesus, and your glory. Please, please minister to us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, Today's sermon is entitled, Love, Death, and the Glory of God. I'm indebted to John Piper, who kind of pulled back these three key words, and I think that's a really helpful kind of sermon uh, structure for us to walk through. Um, And so we're going to look at these three key words, love, death, and glory. And then we're going to take that and make some application points for us at the end. And so key word number one, love. 
You know, we've already been introduced to uh, Mary and Martha in Luke. We're not obviously not walking through Luke right now, but Mary and Martha, you know, Jesus ministers to them, and Martha's kind of running around everywhere, and Mary's just sitting, and Jesus sits down with them and ministers to them and cares for them. And, but here in the Gospel of John, this is the first time they were introduced to this family. And John wants to make it abundantly clear in this first paragraph that Jesus loves these siblings. We see in verse 1, there's a certain man named Lazarus from Bethany who's ill. And he, he's not just any man. He, he, he has a name. He has a place. He has a family. And Jesus knows him. He has a relationship with him. He has a relationship with these people. These are real people that Jesus loves. Verse 2, John wants to make it abundantly clear that, that Mary has a relationship with Jesus that's special. He's referencing chapter 12 that we'll look at a little bit later where, where Mary just lavishes Jesus with her love as she pours out ointment on him and wipes her by his feet with her hair. And John is just making it really clear. This is not just some ordinary sort of casual friendship. This is a deep relationship between Jesus and this family. And then John makes it abundantly and explicitly clear in verse 3. When he, when he says the, the words of the messenger sent by the sisters, Lord, he whom you love is ill. That word for love there means a brotherly or a friendship sort of love. It's a, it's a special, it's not just a casual acquaintance, it's a special sort of connection that Jesus has with Lazarus and his family. John means for us to see and to feel that this family is loved by Jesus in particular. And then to bring it all home, verse 5. Jesus, again, says it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. This word for, for love is what we're probably familiar with, agape, love. It means strong, faithful, committed, sacrificial sort of love. A person that's going to be there to the end for whoever it is that they love. It's, and it's not just a general sort of like, oh, God, for God so loved the world. That is very true. But this passage is really inviting us in to say, no, no, Jesus has an agape sort of love for this family in particular. He knows this family. He loves this family. He has walked alongside of this family. John is preparing us for something here that we're going to get into in a minute. Before we, say, before we jump there, though, I want to say this to you, Four Oaks. Brothers and sisters, Jesus loves you. He knows you. He knows your story. He knows the street that you live on. He knows the people that you interact with. He knows the family that you have. He knows you, and he loves you in particular. I want you to feel that. I want you to experience that. I want you to believe it. Because what's about to happen next is something that we are not going to think is love at all. Introduces us to keyword number two, death. Look at verse five again. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus so. It's a conjunction. Un, short 
Greek three-letter word, un. It can be translated so, therefore, accordingly, consequently. It's when you join two sentences together logically. So, uh, I am hungry, so I will walk to the refrigerator, gaze at it for a while, and hope that something will satisfy me. Okay, that's a logical thing. Here, Jesus is communicating something. I love you, Martha, your sister Mary, and Lazarus, so. He stayed two days longer in the place where he was when he heard that Lazarus was sick. Let that sit for a minute. Jesus loved, so he delayed. He did not respond. He did not rescue. He did not run to help. He did not deliver the way that Mary and Martha had requested. And if you might be entering this text, you're like, oh, well, Jesus really didn't know how sick Lazarus was. Verse 14 makes it really clear. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. Jesus knew that this delay would mean death. Jesus loved, so he let Lazarus die. That is hard. I'm sure right now you might be thinking of some things that have died. Where have you cried out to the Lord and he delayed? Where have you longed for God to come through for you and all you got was silence? Where have you prayed for life and you feel like you've gotten the sentence of death? Maybe it's a a relationship that just seems beyond repair. Maybe it's a family member who's gone rogue. Maybe... It's a, it's a health diagnosis. It just seems impossible to endure. I mean, it's a bout of depression or anxiety attack that just comes over you in waves, and you, you just want it to stop. Jesus' delay in coming did not feel like love. I mean, Lazarus really died. Like Lazarus' last breath was with Jesus not there. Mary and Martha really had to bury their brother. Did not feel like love to Mary and Martha, and certainly not to Lazarus. But their suffering did not mean that Jesus did not love them, but the reverse. He loved them, so he stayed two days longer. Love moved Jesus to let Lazarus die. If you're wondering, like me, how is that love? How can love involve death? I mean, you don't understand what I'm going through. How, like, what's up? I don't understand, God. You might even have a deeper, a bigger question. If God is love, how could he allow suffering and sin and death and pain in our world? These are are good and important questions. Very important questions. This is a safe place for us to ask them. The text invites us to ask them. Later in the text, Mary and Martha ask them, where were you, Jesus? 
And when I think of love, I think of doing whatever I can to rescue the person that's in trouble. I'm a dad. I've got kids. When they're sick, when, when there's pain, I, I want to make them feel better. I want to I protect them. I want to preserve them. I want to rescue them. I want to take care of them so they won't have to endure hardship and difficulty. I mean, this is what God did himself. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave his one and only son. <laughs> Let's figure out in this text why Jesus came and died, but here, why he doesn't come and he lets Lazarus die. Jesus' love is clearly different than our version of love. I think John Piper can help us with this. I love John Piper. Commend his sermon to you. It's amazing. Really good. Uh, This is what he says. What does it mean to be loved by Jesus? Love means giving us what we need most, and what we need most is not healing, but a full and endless experience of the glory of God. Love means giving us what will bring us the fullest and longest joy. And what is that? The answer of this text is clear. A revelation to your soul of the glory of God. Seeing, admiring, and marveling at, and savoring the glory of God in Jesus Christ. When someone is willing to die, or let your brother die, or you could insert whatever it is that's dying right now for you, to give you and your brother that. He loves you. So what is love? Love means giving us what we need most. What we need most is not healing, but a full and endless experience of the glory of God. So love is doing whatever it takes to get you and me to see a bigger, grander, more glorious view of God and then to trust in him to be satisfied with him. I don't say that lightly. I really don't. This is not just a propositional truth. This is weighty. Suffering is hard. It's painful. It's difficult. It is profoundly rough when you're in the midst of it. But but Jesus wants to offer us a different sort of view of suffering. It invites us to see his glory. That's key word number three, glory. Go back to verse 4. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So Jesus' act of love in this case and in all other cases is to help us to get glory. That's love. God's love is to help us to get God's glory. And it comes in all sorts of different views. I mean, God's glory is big. It's vast. It's, it's huge. A uh, good definition is all that God is, all that God does, and all that God says is God's glory. And so as you can imagine, it's multifaceted. There's all, all sorts of different things that Jesus has in mind when he acts, when he moves. And in this case, he wants them to see that he is the resurrection and the life, but they first must experience death. I mean, what will reveal God's glory more? Healing someone from sickness or raising someone from the dead? B.F. Westcott states this. He says, because the Lord loved the family, he went at the exact moment when his visit would be most fruitful and not just when he was invited. 
we invite Jesus into a lot of our mess, don't we? And sometimes it feels like he's not coming through for us. But there's a corresponding peace to God's glory. So, so verse 4 wants to communicate, I'm, I'm delaying to reveal my glory, but there's another part to it. Verse 14 and 15, he's, he has this desire for his disciples. That's who he's talking to. But of course, it's really to all of us here this morning. Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. It's one thing for Jesus to reveal his glory. It's another thing for us to grab hold of it, to trust in it, to rely on him. Jesus rejoiced is another way to say it. He was glad that he delayed. I'm not saying, though, Jesus rejoiced in the circumstances. No. We're going to look next week. Jesus weeps. He's overwhelmed with grief as he watches Mary and Martha and their friends cry over the loss of their brother. Now, Jesus doesn't rejoice over the awful circumstances we have to endure, but he does rejoice when his glory is revealed and we see it. We believe it. We behold it. Let's be honest, when does our faith grow stronger? Usually it's not in the easy times of life, right? It's in the tough times. Do you know that Jesus right now is praying for you? He's rejoicing over you. He's committed to you. Your faith. What does he, what does he pray for, for Peter, right? Right before Peter's about to deny him, he says, I, I pray for you that when, when Satan sifts you like wheat that your faith would not fail and that you would turn, trust in me, and encourage your brothers. Jesus is committed to your faith. Jesus is committed to revealing his glory. Sometimes it requires us to go through very, very hard times to see it, to grab a hold of it, to, to rest in it. Um, there's, a, there's an author by the name of Paul Miller. You guys may be familiar with him. He's written A Praying Life, Loving Life. Probably also for the lives, I'm not sure. But, but uh, no, he has this, he has this um, uh, illustration I feel is really helpful, particularly right here in this text where we're at. It's called the J-curve. And he says that um, in, in Jesus' ministry in life, it's like a J. So Jesus is ministering and then he must go down, must go down into death and then be raised up and exalted and high and lifted up. And he says a lot of times that's our lives. That's the Christian life. The Christian life oftentimes requires us to go down into death. That's painful. Paul said, I, for his sake, I have suffered loss of all things that I may, be, may gain Christ and be found in him, that I may know him, that I may share in his sufferings. But that's not the end. 
that I may know the power of his resurrection and that I maintain, you know, where, where it's possible, this resurrection of the life to come. It's the J-curve. We go down in order to be brought up. We go with Jesus down into death. Whatever that death may be for you or for me, Jesus invites us to be with him in the midst of that and to know we have a suffering Savior who has gone alongside of us and gone ahead of us. And he's right now seated at the right hand of the throne of God awaiting us. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Dennis Cochran, he was a missionary um, with the Duna people, and he shared his story with us. We have these Gospel for the World nights, which you guys are welcome to come to. The next one is this Wednesday night at 7. Uh, but he was sharing his story, uh, amazing story. He and his wife went to this people group, never heard the gospel before, never even heard, I mean, never even heard the word of Jesus before, um, completely uh, just separated from the outside world. And by God's amazing grace, uh, he, you know, Dennis and his wife, they translated the Bible. They, they shared the gospel with these people that came to faith in Christ. 2,000 of them at one time out of this 20,000 group of people. I mean, Dennis was, I asked him, I was like, how did that feel when that happened? He's like, it was amazing. It was so amazing. But, so, might be another word. I got sick. I had to come home. I had dreams that I would reach two more people groups by the end of my lifetime. I never went back. They said, God, I had a different plan. I had to die. He's, he's crying as he's sharing this. Like, he's just teary. <laughs> he said, but God had a different plan. And now, because of my story, that he travels all over the place sharing his story. Because of my story, I mean, hundreds of people are now all over the world ministering to unreached people groups like the Duna people. We're going to get to the, the rest of the story, the resurrection part, Next week, uh, when, when, uh, when Pastor Paul returns. But for now, I, I want us to remain here in this bottom of the J-curve, I guess you could call it. The death. Um, and, and I think the, the, the scriptures invite us in to three application points. So if you're in that place right now, I pray that God would give you ears to hear and eyes to see. Number one, go to Jesus. I want us to learn from Mary and Martha. What happens when they, when they see the Lazarus is sick? They bring the need to Jesus. There's no one else to turn. No other hope. No other person who can help. They send the message to Jesus right away. Hey, you've all we've got. Please come through. All we get is one little tiny sentence here, but there's, I'm sure, so much longing and desire and hopes and emotion that's filled with that request. When we go to Jesus, he wants to invite us in to do it with honesty. Don't, don't kind of placate or just like give general things. Oh, Jesus, I hope you're, you know, no, like be real, be honest, like cry out, long, hope. Jesus invites us to say, come, come, not when you're all ready and good and feeling great. Come to me when you're weary, when you're heavy laden. Edwin Hood wrote a song. He said, sing a hymn to Jesus when your heart is faint. Tell it all to Jesus, comfort or complaint. Go to Jesus. Do it with honesty, but also do it with community. This is a messenger. 
How did he know the message? Mary and Martha had to tell him, go, go, talk to Jesus. And, and suffering invites us in to deal with it in community. We need other people around us to encourage us, to hold us up, to care for us. So we go to Jesus not just by ourselves, but also with our brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm going to share with you a story uh, related to this. Um, Will and Rebecca Pipkin, uh, some of you may know them. Uh, 31 weeks pregnant, uh, Rebecca and Will, they're at the doctor's office, and they are hit with awful news. Their, their soon-to-be daughter has a hole in her brain. It's just black, it's just darkness, nothing there in her corpus callosum, and, and, and all, of the, all of the fears and, and stuff, and, and just op, the, the, all the things that might happen are, are laid out before them, and they're so overwhelmed. In that place, uh, Will shared with me, um, he said, you know, it really taught me to rely completely on the Lord. I couldn't go anywhere else. Jesus is all I had. Uh, and then he, he said, you know, in the past, I, I, I usually would just kind of like more just pray, like, God, whatever your will be done. But in this case, he said, I prayed for healing. Like, I went to Jesus, and I said, Jesus, you've got a healer. Please, you've got a healer. Rebecca, um, she dealt with it a little bit differently. Uh, she just said, like, m- much more emotional and out there, and just like, I was angry. I was angry. I didn't understand why this happened. She already had been dealing with some other health issues, and like, this on top of that. But she said, I, you know, people were there with me. I I shared with everyone I could what was taking place so they would pray for me. And even if I didn't feel that great towards God, that they could help me through it. She said, sometimes I was really mad, but then there were other times where I really felt the love of God lavished on me as people were praying for me and encouraging me. Pop up a picture here. Three weeks ago, little Emberly was born. No hole. Jesus healed her. And uh, just rejoicing. Uh, I'm sure, you know, through the suffering, they were, they were really wrestling with God. And yet, now, healing, wholeness, Jesus came through. So in the same way, whatever your troubles are, whatever death you might be facing, go to Jesus. Take your cares to him because he cares for you. He loves you. And that leads us to point number two, trust in God's steadfast love. You know, the interesting thing about uh, this, this uh, verse three is it said, Lord, he whom you love is ill. You know, they could have come to Jesus and said, hey, hey, Lazarus loves you. You need to heal him. Or, or we love you, you need to heal. But Martha and Mary, they say, you know, no, no, no. The, 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 the only thing that we can trust in and rely upon is not our own love. It is on your love, your steadfast love that's better than life. That is what we're holding on to. We are going to be tempted a lot of times in our suffering to interpret God's love through the lens of our suffering rather than God invites us to interpret are suffering through the lens of God's love. 
That's what Mary and Martha are battling for. They're fighting for. They're like, Jesus, I'm trusting that you love Lazarus, even as he's experiencing sickness and ultimately death. And we, have a, we, have, we, get, to, we get to know the end of the story. <laughs> and not only do we get to know this end of the story, but we get to know the ultimate end of the story. If Jesus loved us enough to die for us, then we can hold on. We can, we can trust in God's steadfast love, whatever it is. There is a reason for God's delay. Um, you guys may know this about me, but I've had back issues the last probably year and a half in particular. Uh, ruptured disc and not a lot of fun. Uh, actually, last time I preached, I was seated on a stool. That was an interesting experience. Obviously, I am here now. I'm standing. Still have some pain. That's okay. Uh, but I had surgery back at the end of November. And a few weeks, uh, actually 12 days later in particular. Um, actually, let me show the picture real quick. Why not? There I am. <laughs> That's me on the day of my surgery. Okay, take it off. I don't want to see myself on that anymore. But right there, I had huge hopes and dreams. I had big longings. I was like, as soon as... Uh, I get the surgery. I was even told by the, by the physician's assistant. He told me, he's like, hey, people after the surgery, they're running. Like right afterward, it's going to be awesome. I'm like, yes. That was not me. Uh, it got worse. Way worse. Uh, I became, I, I kind of spiraled into some depression. And on day 12 in particular, I just remember this profoundly because I was like weepy. I was just crying all day. Part of it was pain meds. Part of it was just being isolated, and then part of it was just the pain. And the biggest part of it was I didn't know if I was ever going to get better. And it was hard. And um, I remember Julia, uh, she knew there was something wrong when I was watching Superman. And uh, I started crying when Superman killed General Zod. I was like, <laughs> no, you said, you said goodbye to your former family. Now you're on earth forever. You have no, you know, former brothers or sisters. Really. You can't leave your legacy with the people anymore. I was, I was like weepy. I'm like, what is wrong with me? But there was a real sense of just like, oh, I, like really bad. And so Julia came in uh, with the kids, laid hands on me. Thank you, kids, for loving me. Uh, laid hands on me, prayed for me. We sang some songs. And then in God's providence, like, sent, God sent texts, unbeknownst to me. Uh, I didn't ask for it. Some people I reached out to, but others I didn't. And it just, I mean, just God's steadfast love was demonstrating. Now, my circumstances didn't change that day at all, but they changed completely. Because I felt God's steadfast love holding me up. Psalm 94 was a particular passage of scripture for me. If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence. When I thought, my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. The steadfast love of the Lord is what held me up. It was dark. Uh, and by God's grace, I've, I've now moved kind of past the bottom of that J-curve, and I'm starting to, to come up. Uh, and, I, and I don't know what your suffering might be here. 
but I am confident that we can trust in God's steadfast love. God never delays because he's indifferent to our need or he's too busy or he's on vacation or, or he doesn't care. No, he delays because he loves. And even though we don't understand his reasons, God invites you to see the circumstances of your life and mine through the lens of his unfailing love. Application number three, don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. William Tasker says, in times of bereavement, present sorrow dims the prospect of future bliss. And when the imagination is overwrought, death, not life, is apt to seem the ultimate reality. A lot of times when we're going through hard times, our imagination, what, is, what fills up our imagination? It's not wonderful things, right? It's usually tough things, hard things. Is, is things ever, are things ever going to change? But God invites us into a story to not lose hope. Jesus knows your pain. And he has promised to make all things new. He loves you. He's with you. He's for you. And he says, I am coming. This story is one of death, but it's also of amazing life in Jesus. It's a foretaste of glory divine. Lazarus is going to die again, which that's got to be weird. But it's a taste of the resurrection, the ultimate resurrection that is found in Jesus. And so if you're at the bottom of the J-curve right now, don't lose hope. Jesus is committed to making all things new, including things in this life, to give a foretaste of the future life in him. He's raising dead hearts. He's healing cancer. He's, He's filling holes in brains. These are all a taste of things to come. Isaiah 26, great J-curve passage, by the way. Goes through loss, and then Isaiah 26 says, but he will come one day and he will wipe away every tear from their eye. He will swallow up all death, and he will remove the reproach of his people. If you feel like your, your prayers aren't being answered, it feels like reproach. It feels like shame. And Jesus, I'm taking all that away. It's all going to be gone. Don't lose hope. The resurrection is coming. I'm going to leave you with one last story. His name is William Cooper. Lived in the 1700s. Uh, Pain and suffering were just a, a part of his life from the very beginning. He had a brother that actually had six other siblings But he and his brother John were the only two to live past infancy. When he was six, his brother John was born, and his mom died giving birth. You can imagine, just distraught, despair, loss, pain. And Then he went on from school to school. Uh, He didn't have a great relationship with his dad, and eventually ended up up at Westminster, where he was bullied by a lot of, uh, of people his age and a little bit older than him, and then he went on to study law, and while he was studying law as a young adult, he met a woman by the name of Theodora, sought her hand in marriage, and her father said, no, can't have her. Vows were never exchanged, and that lost love just left him crestfallen. I mean, he's really down. As he progressed into childhood, or excuse me, in adulthood, uh, things got worse, Um, Eventually experienced just grinding depression that would lead him to try to commit suicide multiple times. 
Um, he had to go to a, an insane asylum. But this asylum turned out to be the place of grace for him. It's where he met Nathaniel Cotton, who was a doctor there and a believer. And he began to just love on him, talk to him about Jesus, invite him to, 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 to spend time with Jesus. And one day at the hospital, Cowper found a Bible. And he opened it up, and guess where he landed? John chapter 11. As he meditated on this passage, this is what he wrote. He said, I saw so much benevolence, mercy, goodness, and sympathy with miserable men in our Savior's conduct that I almost shed tears upon the relation, little thinking that it was an exact type of the mercy which Jesus was on the point of extending towards myself. The time he was reading this, he was like, could, that, could, could Jesus really love me that way? Could Jesus relate to me that way? Romans 3.25 is what captured it all. And we read this at Good Friday, where it says that Jesus loved us enough to die for us. He was the propitiation for us so that we could receive redemption. William grabbed hold of that promise. He grabbed hold of Jesus. And I wish I could tell you, though, that all the depression was gone, that there was no more bouts of it. There was no more attempted suicides. There, there were. But God wasn't finished with him. Um, John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, slave owner, who God rescued, began to minister to William together, they started writing hymns. Uh, felt that William, as he was writing these hymns, it could, it could help his soul in dealing with some of the pain and the loss that he had experienced. And so I want to invite us to read one of these hymns. You may be familiar with it. It's called God Moves in a Mysterious Way. Powerful lyrics. Hope, a balm to your soul if you're going through difficulties right now. God moves in a mysterious way. His wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Jesus is on over your storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. Hear that one more time. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. Jesus loves you. He's with you. He's for you. And he is making all things new. And at the resurrection, everything will be brought to light. And in the meantime, go to him. Trust in his steadfast love. And don't lose hope. The resurrection is coming. Let's pray.